Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and I want to welcome everyone to this episode of the show. As a way to thank the listeners for helping me grow this podcast over the years, I'm going to continue a raffle option for all of you to have a chance to win a free consultation with me. So it's a 30-minute consultation that I will raffle off once per month. All you have to do to enter is share the episodes that you enjoy on whatever platform you find most interesting. The only thing I ask you to do is if it's a social media channel, make sure you tag me so I see it and can save that and enter in the raffle. Or if it's somewhere else that you can't tag me at, take a screenshot and send that to me at hpopodcast at gmail.com. You can also enter the raffle by writing a show review on your favorite podcast listening platform. So if you do that, Take the screenshot, send it to hbopodcast at gmail.com, and I will enter you in that monthly raffle. Also, I'm excited to announce that I launched a new group coaching option. So to go along with my personalized one-on-one coaching options and my pre-made plans that I have on my website at zachbitter.com, this year I'm starting a group of online endurance runners who want to work with me in a slightly different model. So this model is set up so that Whether you're a beginner or advanced, you can join. Whether you're training for something like a 5K or something as far as a 200 plus miler, you are welcome and this setup will help you reach your goals. The way I have it set up is if you subscribe, you will have access to my full catalog of training plans which range from beginner 5K all the way up to advanced 200 plus miles. Along with that plan that you're going to use, you will have access to a weekly group meeting where you can ask questions about training, you can ask about adjustments to the plan to make it more personalized to you, you can engage with the other group members if you want. We'll get you all set up and ready to really personalize that plan to make sure that you're heading in the right direction for your event. Also, you will have access to office hours where if you have something you want to ask and you want to just hop in and ask a question, you'll be given access to that as well. I will be bringing in guest speakers who have a deep understanding of specific topics and things that we'll use to better your training and recovery process throughout the course of the year as well as a private forum for all the members to engage with one another, share stories, share training tips, and just house a lot of the information that we'll go over on the daily and weekly basis as you're pursuing your race goals. So if you're interested in checking that out, just head to my website at zachbitter.com, go to the coaching tab. From there, you'll be directed to the team coaching option, and you can sign up for that and get onboarded to join the group. If you're interested in keeping up with what I'm up to, please give me a follow on some of my socials. Follow me on Instagram at Zach Bitter, on X, Twitter at ZBitter, and check out the brand new HPO podcast handles, which are just at HPO podcast on Instagram and X slash Twitter. Of course, all this stuff can be found quite easily on my website, which is the main landing page for everything I do at ZachBitter.com. Before we hop into this episode, I just want to share with you, I'm really excited and fortunate that there's been some brands that I use and really believe in that want to support the Human Performance Outliers podcast and are also going to be sharing some discounts and promotions for the listeners 
throughout the course of the year. I have full descriptions of how I use all of these and why I believe in them at the end of the show. So if you're interested for those details, just stick around after the show and I'll dive into all of that stuff. But for now, I just want to share with you where you can find them and what their current promotions are. Right now, S-Fuels offer a low-carbohydrate performance and lifestyle product line that matches my approach to low-carbohydrate endurance perfectly. If you head to their website at sfuelsgolonger.com, you can get 15% off their products. And stay tuned this year because over the course of the year, I am going to be offering up some samples, some free samples of the products that I use throughout the course of the year. Janji Apparel makes training gear that I've been checking out this winter. They focus on key features of lightweight, breathable, moisture-wicking, odor-resistant, thermoregulation, super soft and flexible products. These work great for basically any of the running workouts. I've done all of them in them, and I even use them in the gym now too. So if you want to check out some of their stuff, head over to janji.com, that's J-A-N-J-I.com, and you can get 10% off by entering promo code BITTER10. Element Electrolytes is my electrolyte of choice. They are offering up a free sample pack for you with your purchase. If you go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO, right now they are running a seasonal promotion where they're doing some chocolate mint chocolate chai and chocolate raspberry as some seasonal flavors i love using the chocolate mint and the chocolate raspberry in my morning coffee you can also use it in your tea or make some hot chocolate there's all sorts of different things you can do with this product lineup so head to drinklmnt.com forward slash hpo to let them know that you support the show and get that free sample pack with your first purchase Delta G Ketones is the exogenous ketone that I've been using for a bit over a year now for my training and racing purposes. The reason I chose them is because they have almost all the research backing their formula, 50 plus studies, 20 plus ongoing. They had the DARPA grant to design for the special forces. You can also sign up for a free consultation with them to let them know what your lifestyle is like and how that product would maybe fit into it. Right now, you can get 20% off your order by entering promo code BITTER20 at DeltaGKetones.com. Project, I guess yeah. you call it. <laughs> and so he's going to be like, attempt to do the first ever, uh, so like, uh, I guess, human-powered cross Antarctica. So he's pulling his own sled, own wow. supplies, the whole deal. Oh, my God. And it's going to take like, oh, I'm trying to remember what he said, I think 100 and, 110 days or something like that. And it's just like pure white. Yeah, so it's almost nothing. Yeah. There. So he did this like darkness. He did a darkness retreat, a 10 day darkness retreat just to prepare like the mental stuff of having like essentially your visual stimulus yeah. turned off. Oh my God. And it's just like mind blowing what, what some people are doing these uh, days. Yeah. Cause there's nothing there. <laughs> there's nothing to look different. That's so crazy. Uh -huh. So are you doing most of your podcasts in person now? I'm trying to, yeah. I'm, it's one of those things where remote is probably a necessity to some degree if yeah. you want to have full access yep. to anyone but austin's great for it yeah. so and then this time you're with tre yeah you, someone like yourself's coming through town yeah bring them in person cool so. yeah how's your podcast doing it's good um i'm like 50 50 remote and in person um and yeah i'm launching a i think we were, were we chatting about car dealerships yeah yeah so, yeah so i'm going live with volkswagen on friday um and like stoked on that yeah talk about uh electric and 
um, yeah, like really growing on the on the revenue side, on the listen side, and like the ability to create interesting content from the from the episodes. So just mm-hmm. more than just the audio, but video clips and um, really just trying to trying to grow it in different ways and sort of see what sticks. But I have a team that does everything besides the talking. So yeah. it's like fun <laughs> to be able to just like have conversations. And then at some point those they show, show up. up live. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably my next step is to offload some of that yeah. stuff. I've been I, originally I wanted to do it because it was like, this might be a skill set I want to learn. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do like kind of tinkering around with this stuff, yeah. but then at a certain point you start realizing I can probably just record more episodes yeah, if right. I offload some of yep, this. So yep. getting the podcast studio set up was step one. Yeah, so cool. we'll see when step two happens. Nice. But how long have you been recording podcasts? Five years. Five. Oh, so wow. So you've been doing January for a while. will realize. be 300 episodes. Okay, nice. Yeah, we're probably on a similar timeline then. I am, this will be like, let's see, I just released 376 today. Wow. And I guess it's probably been about five years for me too. It's hard to believe it's 2023. Yeah, I keep I thinking like I've been doing this for a couple of years. Yeah. Like, no, no. <laughs> I think I might, I started in 2018, January of 2018. Yeah, right around the same um, time. Out in Flagstaff for my first two recordings. Really? That's where yeah. mine was too. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It would have been, I think, April of 2018, maybe? Nice. Somewhere around there. No, it was a little earlier than that because it was snowing. Yeah. So it would have had to have been. It was probably, yeah. who knows, maybe we were at the exact same yeah. day launching our podcast. Or maybe mine was 2019 <laughs> because I couldn't. Yeah, anyway, it's four or five years. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. A long, long enough time long to have time. 300 plus episodes. Yeah. So I, wa- I wanted to have you on to talk about just a variety of different things, but kind of maybe centered around just the running industry yeah. and just the way that that has kind of shaped over the years. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, your podcast is pretty much running specific Yep. and you've been doing it for a while. So you've probably seen some trends change. I mean, we think of running, obviously really old sport. Yep. You think of running in the modern era, there's just been such a huge growth curve with the access points to it, like everything really with the access points to it, with media, social media, podcasting, that it's just kind of a fun conversation to have. It's like, how has that shaped running? Yeah. How does, uh, how does like other companies coming into running now that running has got maybe a little more of a spotlight on it really change things, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's been fascinating to see. I was, I had a conversation with Grayson Murphy about this. She was mm-hmm. a guest on the podcast a few weeks ago and she was like, yeah, I feel like, um, sponsorships are drying up for pro athletes a little bit. And, um, and then on the creative side or ambassador side or influencer mm-hmm. side, if you want to use that word, like things are strong and there yeah. are budgets for that kind of stuff. So it's sort of like a depends who you ask kind of a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming from it also from the brand side with with what I do with my day job, um, it's fascinating to see how like we've evolved in where we spend, like can we spend money, how we, how we spend money, where we spend money. And then how we evaluate the spend of that money. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of brands are looking at it from that standpoint. And so you look at like Dylan Bowman posted that um, there's an apparel company, a fashion company that's, that's supporting, uh, I think it's the Hong Kong 100. Oh yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and you have uh, Dacia sponsoring UTMB. Mm-hmm. And so you have all these like major, like billion dollar brands yeah. sponsoring trail races. And then you have the, the running brands yeah. like backing out of athlete sponsorships mm-hmm. and slimming down the athletes that they work with. And it's 
fascinating because a lot of these brands that are lessening or tightening the belt on pro athletes are going the way of of influencers. I was talking with Ken Rideout this morning on the on a run, and he's like, "I don't understand it." And I was like, I was like, well, you fit the profile of someone who is like like really good at athletics and an average guy at the same time. Like he's a self-proclaimed average guy. I don't think he's average <laughs> at a 228 marathon at 52 years old, but um, the piece that makes him like uh, relatable is that he is uh, just really good at being consistent and he's mm -hmm. relatable because people can see, Oh, I wanted to work hard and, and he got better over the years. He's not an elite athlete. He's not well, maybe he's an elite athlete. He's not a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. And so, so people and brands see someone like that as the like that's someone that i'm where i was going with this was he was talking about shoes mm -hmm. and he was talking about how so many influencers got the adidas shoe and he didn't yeah. see a lot of um he didn't see a lot of pro athletes promoting the adidas shoe besides the ones who, who ran in the race but you have all these running journalists and and um people with a lot of instagram followers getting this shoe and I was like, well, the 204 guys are not great at talking, right? They're just like really good at, at running, running fast. fast. And, and that's not relatable if they're not good at sharing their story. Mm -hmm. And so the brands from, at least from my point of view, the brands are seeing the, like the Laura Greens, the, the, um, Aaron Azars, like these people who are you know, have a family and potentially kids and, and don't run professionally as like, Hey, that could be me. Like my life is hard. Like theirs appears to be, which isn't to say the life of pro athletes is not hard. I'm sure you can attest to that. Yeah. And, but they're seeing, they're seeing themselves in these people and the brands are seeing a return on their investment of the money they're spending on amateurs or influencers. Yeah. Um, and that trend is shifting. And then at the same time, we see non-endemic brands coming into the space, and they're looking at um, they're looking at how do I match my customer persona with where I can find those people, right? So, so if you look at the the demographic of a trail runner, it's similar to people who are interested in golf, with the exception of like one runs and one group doesn't, mm -hmm. but. Um, that's why there are car brands that are sponsoring. Yeah, I mean, that was really interesting. You actually dug into a few things that I hadn't necessarily been thinking about with that specific topic that I think would be fun to unpack. And I think even if you get step away from the, the non-relatable brands in terms of like the non-shoe brands, running apparel brands and all that stuff, and you just look at the running world as a whole, I mean, at the end of the day, these companies they're investing in athletes to some degree to sell shoes or to sell shirts and right. shorts and socks and whatnot. And it's tough to put a, a number on what is it worth? Like right. how much is an athlete who wins Western States worth, wins the Boston Marathon worth, goes to the Olympics worth? Like what, what's the dollar sign on that? And I mean, you can quantify it to some degree, but I can much easier quantify, oh, if X influencer is wearing my shoes when they're doing their their speed work video right. or whatever it happens to be. I know X number of people are going to see this. I know X number of people are going to click on the link that they put because they send me the report afterwards. 
And on top of it, all it is is writing a check and having them plug it into the thing that you've already vetted, which is their Instagram formula, right. more or less. So like if I'm, if I'm a running brand, if I'm a shoe brand, I'm like, what would I like to see my product on? I can go back on their Instagram and say like, okay, this is what their routine looks like. Would my product fit in there nicely? If the answer is yes, I write them a check. I don't have to send a video team out there. I don't have to send out like a PR team or spend any more money other than the money I'm giving them because they already have that already in place. You're just plugging it in. So what's fascinating is that, so I've had a lot of these conversations here at TRE, the running Mm -hmm. event, um, around exactly that. So, right, so a few years ago, it became really popular for pro athletes to be a part of a team. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, but any of these setups, Northern Arizona Elite was doing it right from the beginning with content and they were posting they were sharing the story they were doing all this stuff and they like have media training that goes around being an athlete and and there's a huge investment that goes into that hoka is paying all this money to create that infrastructure to have it happen meanwhile the work of of an influencer or uh you know a single person or entity media entity can do all of that on their own so like when i do a brand deal uh, i have a person that manages brand partnerships and then under her somebody who does video and somebody who does social so a brand can tell us creative strategy that they want executed on do we want top of funnel Awareness, do we want middle of funnel consideration? Do we want bottle of funnel, bottom of funnel conversion content? And then we create it and then we send it to them. And then it lives for them in perpetuity. They have rights to it, they paid for it. And I'm not doing anything besides like being behind a camera. Other people are doing all of this stuff and executing against what the brand wants. So we're operating as an agency mm-hmm. at a fraction of the price that you would pay an agency. So it's sort of like doing all of the work for the brand with the brand not needing to actually do any of the work besides like tell us what the content that they want is and tell them and, and signing a check, right? And so you have a guy like Mike Kafuzi who's doing these shoe reviews and he's like weaving his shoes into um, into the the videos that hundreds of thousands of people are watching. And so exactly what you're saying, like they have a calculation, uh, the brand has a calculation of like, what is the value of 100,000 impressions? What is the value of integrating a shoe into this review that X number of people are going to see? And then he's creating all that content for the brand. I just spoke with a friend who does shoe reviews and she's like, I I tracked $1.2 million of shoe sales this year. Mm -hmm. And that's only what she can track through like referral links. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there are few are are few people who can say that. First of all, that they know that number, and second of all, that that number is that large. And so, the price of working with someone like that versus anything else, I mean, whatever her price is, is worth it because she's not asking for five hundred thousand right. dollars or whatever it is, right? <laughs> like it's it would be crazy to. Um, and so when you have this like one-stop turnkey operation that a lot of podcasts or creators or influencers have, it's really hard to argue for the alternative that like none of this is charity, right? And so 
we we as as consumers of the sport like the competitive aspect of running and racing and like i like watching you race and nicole and and everyone else that you know i've seen at western states and um all these races and i hope we can figure out a way that both can exist in harmony so that we can continue to support people who just want to run fast and that's like that's what they care about and that's great mm -hmm. and there's also the calcul like formulaic approach of working with someone who can create content and convert with that content as well and i hope i hope both can exist synergistically and grow in alignment and what's becoming a trend more and more is is that cross pollination or the collaboration between creators and pro athletes like i'm hosting this panel tomorrow and it's with a bunch of athletes and it'll be recorded and then I'll splice and dice it and release it. Um, and then make it really easy for the athletes to, to release it as well. Uh, or the brand is doing that. And um, so to me, that's like the happy medium, right? You have, then it's leverage that the brand is working with either an agency or a creator or, or both and leveraging their athletes and creating stories that can be shared in, in like a turnkey in a turnkey way. So I did a, a relationship with Puma around a mile race that the podcast sponsored that they also sponsored in July out in Boulder. And, um, the podcast contributed a thousand dollars to the pro race. Cause I was like, I think it's still incredibly important to support professional athletics. Like mm -hmm. despite the, everything I've said in the last 10 minutes, like both can be true. I agree with that. And I think all these things on the business side of things. So we contributed a thousand dollars to the pro race. It was like a quarter of the, of the purse and produced a video with, um, Jenny Simpson and, uh, Sarah Vaughn and created this content that they were able to promote that linked back to their shoe sponsor and makes them look smart and intelligent because they are, and they were sharing great information and they didn't have to do anything besides hit accept on the collaborator tool, mm -hmm. collaborator yeah. thing. And then they have this like wonderful content that um, Tony with the Sony produced. I think you know Tony yeah. as well. And, and was like very well professionally done. And they didn't have to do a damn thing besides show up wearing their branded logo and, mm -hmm. and speak. And to me, that's the synergy that, that we'll see more of going forward where it's the brand connecting a creator or something like that to their pro athletes. And still like those pro athletes need to be like, need to speak well and be coherent and whatnot. Um, and so I just think the job is changing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm curious your, your thoughts on that, like yeah. being in it, yeah, being that person and then also on the creator side. Yeah, cause when I think of it, like this conversation I think is going to be fun because you have two hats. You're the, you're a creator. You're also one of the business owners with inside tracker. You're very much looking at this from, I'm a company that is selling a product and that product is going to have athletes. That product is going to have customers. That product's going to have, you know, everything that goes into that. Right. And then, but you're also a creator. So you can sort of like, you can feed into one another with that. And then there's the athlete side. Whereas I'm where the athlete hat and the creator hat, I don't wear the company hat. Right. So together we have like all three of those yep. things Two, one we share and then two, right. the other two is one or the other. So 
the way I look at it is um, you're you're 100 right. I think like the hard part is you're gonna probably always see an ebb and flow of money that is coming into like athlete budgets where like let's say you have a parent company that owns like a, a variety of different brands and they're looking at that parent company's looking at the budgets as like well this company we need to dump a ton of money on because it's time for them to grow this company's hurting right now and they're, they're organizing their grand budget around it so you might see money come in and out of the individual brands right. even though the parent company is the one kind of pulling those strings so I see the athletes probably having a little bit more, and this has always been the case, it's just gonna be more apparent now, perhaps, because they have other, technically have other options. You might see a few years where a lot of athlete money's there because the, the companies have money to spend and they're gonna spend it. They right. have a budget and it's like, here's the number, it's a use it or lose it kind of proposition. And they're much more likely to put money on something that doesn't have as clear of an ROI. And then the athlete also has that added benefit of, or. As, as a company, I think there is a little bit of, we want to see the sport grow on the competitive side. We want to be able to say we support. It's good for the sport. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they do see that. So I think they're a little more flexible about not having a direct ROI with an athlete. So maybe the athlete has a little bit of an advantage where, like, say I was just kind of a middle of the pack runner, had a really good creator tool with one of my social media channels. Maybe the company isn't all that concerned whether they support me through a tough time or not because they know I probably have other options if I with, with just the following on that thing whereas the athlete you know the athlete has a rough year they get injured or something like that can't compete at the level they want you know they're they may be in trouble in that scenario but have you so have you felt more I don't want to say comfortable but less stress around performance mm-hmm after launching your podcast and that kind of stuff yeah so maybe I can tell you kind of my trajectory and then that might help kind of you understand the way I'm thinking about or have been thinking about it. So I never anticipated to be a professional athlete. That was something, in, in fact, I have a hard time still sort of acknowledging that in my own mind that like part of who I am is competing at a professional level in yeah. like, you know, I, I, I was like every kid for the most part, I, I dreamt of it, but I got to a point where I realized, you know what? The NBA and the NFL <laughs> they ain't happening. <laughs> Need a little more hype yeah. for uh... right. And even the sport I was good at running, it was like, yeah, I'm not going to the Olympics. And you yeah. know that was clear enough to me at an early enough age. I chose a career path that was not in athletics, and it wasn't until ultra marathon kind of became something I got interested in, and then that's where it started to grow. And I started having like some coaching success too along the way where I was like, you know what, this is a reality. And if I don't take advantage of it now, I can't come back in 10 years. Oh, I'm, I'm meant to do it. Can right, I be the yeah. professional athlete now? Yeah. So it was one of those things where I had enough momentum to take the risk, um, signed a three-year contract essentially. And that was like, okay, I can try this out for three years, see what happens. If I belly flop, I'm going back to teaching. That was 15 years ago? That was in 2015. 2015 so oh, okay. eight years ago yeah 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 so then when I did that my mindset was okay I'm a professional athlete but I'm not a professional athlete who when I finish my career whether it be three years 10 years or 15 years I'm gonna right. be sitting Tens on of a millions stack of dollars. Of money. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's like something else has to be developed along the way in order for this to be sustainable but do you think most are thinking that way no or, yeah well I don't there are definitely people who aren't. Let's put it that way. You think that's the majority? Because um, that's, I would Yeah, I would say that. the majority isn't thinking about it enough, at the very least. Yeah. I think they're maybe thinking about it passively, and they're maybe doing some kind of, like, low-input 
efforts into trying to do something yep. like that, but it's not anything to the scale that I would feel comfortable with. So for me, it was like, I'm curious. So yep. I started out with coaching and running and then that turned into, oh, I love going on podcasts. So I went on a bunch of podcasts and I really leaned into that world early. So as a podcast host, I'm five years old, but as a podcast guest, I started doing that in like 2011. So really early in podcasting. Yeah. And, and you know, I've had a lot of success with that. I've been on Joe Rogan twice, Lex Friedman's podcast. I've been on some of the biggest podcasts in the world as a guest. And to me, I was thinking to myself, where are the inputs that can work alongside what I'm doing as a professional athlete that I'm interested in enough in that I'm not going to get so sick and tired of it that I hate my job when yeah. it becomes my job, if it becomes my job. I didn't have... I can, I'm starting to appreciate social media a lot more now in the last few years, but originally I didn't. I did, kind of didn't like it much at all. So I leaned into podcasting, leaned into coaching a little bit more, and then kind of used social media as something that I've been trying to do a better job over the last couple of years. But since I had a lot of success with podcasting and athletics and stuff, some of my social media accounts have gotten decent enough momentum where they're there for me as long as I decide to engage with them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was the whole time I was terrified of like essentially if you break your foot or right. Something. Yeah. Or just, you know, you, I mean, athlete contracts are very, you, you would think there would maybe be a little more organization behind them, but there really isn't to the degree where sometimes you're getting the news in the 11th hour. Yeah. I mean, I've had scenarios where it's December. I don't have a firm answer from, from an athlete contract. And it's like, at this point I should have been exploring alternatives months ago. If I really wanted a reasonable list of things to have to counter with, because some of it is a counter thing too, where it's like, if I go and say, Hey, I want this, like, okay, I, we get, you want this, but this is what we're going to give you. Yeah. Unless I can come and say, well, no, I'm going to go over there. Cause they're going to give me that. If you don't, you don't, you don't have any leverage. So I think leverage can be hard as an athlete because you're in the middle of a racing season. You also have to be thinking about, I mean, you can have an agent, I guess. Um, for, for ultra running that that is available, but it's not something that's very common, I guess. Um, but you're, you're, you're thinking about that stuff. So, I mean, I was just always terrified that like I would get to say November, December, and they'd be like, turns out we're not going to pay you anything anymore. Yeah. Or yeah, like you said, break your leg or, or take me for example, I've had a string of injuries the last couple of years where I haven't put up nearly the results I had earlier in my career. You know, thankfully I've kind of got some momentum back on that front and I'm really looking forward to racing next year. Uh, but had I not had the outputs from my podcast, social media, coaching and guesting on podcasts, you know, I, I don't know that if I were my sponsor, I would have kept me around. I would have probably at least given me a pay cut. Yeah. But when, when it comes to the end of the year and they're like, okay, like give yourself a grade and you know, that sort of a conversation, I can say, here's the download numbers. Here's the Instagram engagement. Here's my coaching business. Here's the number of pockets I went on. You know, here's where, what you would expect to get from a reach standpoint. If, if I go on to X podcast and mention your product and things like that. And that all has grown for me along the way. And it's been something where I've leaned on those different inputs in different degrees along the way, but I've always known I needed them there. And I've always known there's going to be a day where I'm no longer valuable as a competitive athlete and it could be sooner than I'd like it to be. So I need to have something in place that's sustainable to the degree where eventually, where I would say I got here maybe in the last couple of years where now, like if I lost my athlete sponsorship, I mean, 
I mean, I don't like losing money. Like, but yeah. if I did, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. Yeah. I would just be like, you wouldn't right. be on the streets. No, yeah. not at all. Not even close. So yeah. So I've gotten to the point now where like the athlete contract stuff is like, you know, I want to get paid what I'm worth for that. And I want to still lean into that when I can. Um, like any person with a business is going to want to try to like leverage as maximize, much as, yeah, maximize yeah. your potential there. But I also know that like for me, the major growth opportunities going forward that don't have like a, a ceiling on them are the other metric stuff. So then it just becomes a balance. You know, it, it, I wouldn't say it's easy because I, I definitely stay really busy. There's times where I think to myself, it'd be a lot nicer to be relaxing right now <laughs> versus, you know, you know, doing coaching stuff, editing podcasts, creating social media content. You'd, you'd things be like bored. That. I get the sense. Yeah. That, like people have asked me this week and they're like, how do you, or this week, how do you have a full-time job and a full-time podcast? I'm like, I don't know, but I don't know. I don't, first of all, the podcast is not full-time and I don't know that I would be satisfied with like having copious amounts of free time yes. and you feel, it feels like you're in a similar boat. You, you know what the, one of the best things I learned. So when I was, I was teaching for about five years before I kind of went pro athlete coach podcast, and all that stuff I just talked about and you know, teaching can be stressful, but if you're not an administrator, there's 12 weeks where you can do whatever you want <laughs> and they're not asking you to do anything really. I mean, there's some professional development, but most of the professional development with teaching is better done during the school year because you actually have the, the actual hands-on side of things because you're actually in the classroom doing it. So building your professional development stuff around the things you're actually doing in the classroom tended to be more productive in my opinion. So I had essentially three months where I could live as a real professional athlete even before I was one. And what I learned was every year by August, I was starting to really crave something different because there's only so much running yeah. you can do before the margin of diminishing returns kicks in there. And then you're just kind of like, all right, you know, and then, and then if you have a bad workout, you're just sitting there like yeah. thinking about when do I get to the next one? How do I remember this? And heaven forbid you have a bad race. You know, I just didn't like the way that felt. So I always knew I needed to be doing other things too. So it was kind of what works well, what am I interested in? Where, where can I kind of exercise my curiosities that also can feed into a career of some shape or form. Cool. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this podcast sponsors include S fuels. They have a 15% offer for you element electrolytes. They have a free sample pack offer for you. Janji apparel has a 10% offer for you. And Delta G Ketones has a 20% off and free consultation offer for you. Links and details can be found in the show notes and the episode landing page. You can also check out a full description of how I use all of these products in my own training and racing at the end of this podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's, but I mean, I guess to go back to kind of the topic, it's, I'll be interested because I hadn't necessarily thought it to the degree you did with the, the non-running related stuff to the degree where it could be a scenario where let's let the athletes have the shoe sponsorships and let the creators have the car. Yeah, I mean, I've like <laughs> felt guilty at times over working with, like I have a couple of, of endemic sponsors and I've felt guilty because again, like I have a full-time job and I'm like, part of me is like, okay, that's like eating from the same piece of pie or p same pie. Mm -hmm. And should I leave that for the people who need it to put food on their table? And then the other piece of it is like, I really like being the first at things and establishing like this works, you should scale it. Mm -hmm. And so like with the solar company, for example, I said to them in, they're based in Austin. I said to them when I met with them in Austin, I was like, I'm not unique. Like 
we're going to do this. We're going to crush it. And then you're going to sponsor other athletes. And that's exactly what they did, including people who are full-time athletes. And so to me, that was incredibly validating that like this thing that I had a hypothesis with worked and that now that they, now they can 10 exit and pay more people, more money. And that was like really rewarding for me to do, doing similar things with, with, um, sponsors in the, in the running space. Um, and it's like not new anymore to sponsor podcasts, but like some brands are still new at sponsoring podcasts. Mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. so it's like creating a, a structure with them of what does this look like? You come to us with what your goals are. And we, we basically put together something, um, that we think will work and, and aim for, you know, two to four X return on ad spend. Sometimes it's 10 X, sometimes it's as high as 13 X. And then it's like a land and expand for them. Like they do something, they test it and then they grow. We had a conversation with, with a shoe brand, uh, about this, um, two hours ago. And I was like, you want to talk to five creators at the same time, we can pull it all together and we'll be the one-stop shop for you to, mm -hmm. to execute against all of this. And, um, like they've not done it before. They're a big climbing brand and big, big ski brand. And, and so like, I really like the process of being the first and, and like growing it with, with the brand and then showing them that again, I'm not unique and that there are plenty of other people that can do something similar in that, um, in that process, I keep saying I'm not unique by the person who helps me with the podcast. Emily would say you are unique, but anyway. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, I do still have that guilt around. Like sometimes I think that like the, the pro athletes should get the running brand, but there's no use in, in harping on that because like there's no union, there's no consensus and it's like a total free for all. Yeah. And so the other piece of the puzzle is that some people are just willing to work for handouts and, and you know, they get you know, a pair of socks and they're stoked on making social media posts and, <laughs> and ad reads on, on podcasts. And so some of it for me is like, I want to establish value and, and force the brands to understand that like, Podcasting is is a channel similar to radio, similar to TV, uh, all the digital versus traditional media. Like it's real, and it's not it's not like a value in kind trade unless mm -hmm. the the value is like truly valuable, and it's you know more than just like a fifty dollar product. And so, some of it is like I, I want to protect the people who are willing to give it away not protect i want to like encourage them encourage to. <laughs> them to not do that right i've had a lot of conversations with tina mir about this um with laura green with all these people who like truly command the value that they deserve and are working against the people who would do like a a year deal for 500 bucks for mm -hmm. or like Tr trading a couple of pieces of consumable stuff in in exchange for like dedicated social posts or ad reads and there's so much of that stuff happening and the more that it happens the more it it cheapens the experience for professional athletes and for people who are full-time creators mm -hmm. because you can't put food on your table with value in kind trades unless it's like 
a deal with Whole Foods and they're giving you $100 a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a fun one. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, shout out to Whole Foods in Austin. Like maybe there's your, yeah. <laughs> there's your thing. But um, yeah, so some of it is, is that. Like I know in a way that many people don't, like the value of that type of exposure and the having been in the space for over 10 years and working at a company that like first company I worked with, we developed a brand ambassador program before brand ambassador programs were like common. So this was a novel idea back in 2012 and, and like now it's like a real thing and it's a, it's a channel. There are people at companies who are solely focused on this. They have KPIs that are related to it. So if it's professionalized on one side, it should be professionalized on the other. So I like to think that I'm helping to push the professionalization of what you can get from doing something like that so that people don't get taken advantage of because that's been happening for as long as these types of things have existed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I want, I do want to go back to what you were talking about too, and just kind of like the synergy between the influencer and the athlete, because it is one of those things where like, if you hop online, right. <laughs> you can see the, the kind of the, I, I, sometimes I like, I'll follow some discussion that is like, people are trying to say like, they're almost putting like a moral thing upon it. And it's like, if you're a professional athlete and you find yourself in a situation where you're bashing influencer because, Oh, this, this, this guy broke three hours in the marathon, but he carried that GoPro the whole, just do it, just run the race and enjoy the race. Like, it's like, that's going to create a chasm between the influencer right. groups and the athlete groups when they should be like what you were saying, finding ways to congruency. Con yeah. Cause when I, my experience with the, with the influencers, um, like on social media, uh, is, has been very positive it, from the app when I have my athlete hat on in terms of just, they are, they want to talk to me and they want to hear about just, you know, what goes into running 647 pace for a hundred miles and right. stuff like that, that I'm doing because they know what it feels like to run hard. They, they're not just out there with their cameras. They're right. a lot of the run influencers are actually doing a fair bit of running themselves. And some of them have like uh, really cool goals. Like I just had a guy, Jeremy Miller on the podcast and uh, he's a, he's, he's kind of like a bit of a hybrid athlete, but you know, he, he ran sub 245 at Chicago and that was born out of like blowing up at his first marathon, going out too fast and just working hard. He's got a great Instagram page. He's really good at it. And I love doing engagement stuff with him. And, you know, when he has a question about, hey, man, I'm doing this 100K race, how should I do this differently and stuff like that? There's a lot of kind of mutual like back and forth sharing and stuff like that where I find it to be like, this is kind of cool. I'm learning from you because you yeah. obviously know how to do this Instagram thing. And you're learning from me because I know how to do this running thing. And th I think there's a lot more opportunity there and there should be conflict. So uh, I hope you're right about that. I hope <laughs> it gets to a point where like maybe even companies work with directly with influencers to say, here's our athlete team. Let's get the, them all kind of in a position where they're, doing what they can be doing on and, and building like what we were talking about where they have something other than just race results to lean on. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what I'm, that's my relationship with Puma. It's mm -hmm. like leveraging athletes as part of it because their platforms are much bigger than mine. And I have the capabilities that I have capabilities that through the 
people I work with mm -hmm. that they don't have. Um, the other piece is there was something I wanted to say previously and I forget what it was, but, um, yeah, I just think that it's the, 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 oh yeah. About the like competitive amateur runners. So much of my time on the professional side has been working with athletes, right? I'm a three hour marathoner, but I've trained hard mm -hmm. or, and I've trained hard. Someone would be like, Oh, that's really fast. But to people that I like some of the circles I'm in, like that's a, that's a jog, right? For you, that could be a jog. It's a long run. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, but the, the process of that for me is at least from where I, from my understanding is relatable in, in that if you're a five hour marathoner and you want to get after it and, and break four forty five, or if you're a two thirty marathoner as a woman and, or as a guy and want to, you know, get down to OTQ or you're two forty five woman that wants to get to two thirty seven, like whatever your relative, like big goal is like that process is pretty similar across the board. The, the, the time investment for improvement at the high end is obviously like much bigger, but like it's why I can run with gold medal winning Olympians and have them be curious about my training and, and the workout I did last week. And if I were just, you know, jogging around without goals, um, which is fine. Like if that's what gets you out the door and that's what makes you happy, that's great too. Mm -hmm. To me, like that, that doesn't satisfy my itch. And, and that's why, the process that I take when I'm, when I'm training can be relatable to the athletes. So there's so much room for, for overlap in the storytelling of, of that. And that's the whole, like, that's why I started my podcast. Cause I wanted to get better. I was stumped on, on this three hour barrier and I was totally obsessed with it. And I was like, I have a lot of really smart people in my circle. And I was having conversations with, it was actually a conversation with Zach Miller. Mm -hmm. in 2018 that led to me thinking about making this pod making my podcast initially he was running I don't know, 150 miles a week at the time i had just seen him and hayden race i was actually running a 10k at north face in 2016 when they were racing each other epic throwdown by the way yeah <laughs> and i got passed by zach at the end i was running six miles and he was running 50 and he blew my freaking doors off and the sounds that were coming out of that man were just nuts <laughs> And so then later in 2018, I saw him, uh, we, we did the incline in Colorado Springs and then we got dinner afterwards and that man put on a clinic of eating and climbing yeah. stairs. And I asked him, I was like, why do you do this? How do you, how do you keep going? And he, he put his fork down and talked for 10 minutes. And that came out of the curiosity of how do you dedicate that much time to one thing and in the pursuit of getting better, I was attempting to do the same thing, meaning a similar process of getting better. I wasn't trying to run 50 miles at a six, whatever pace. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, that's the, that's the relatable aspect. And that's, that's why the athletes, that's why athletes can, who are sharing their story can weather the storm of 
not having the performances they're looking for because they're interesting people. Like you are an interesting person. You have a personality. You have all these things that you're doing. You have you know a, a desire to engage in conversation with people who are a fan of you. All these things. Like that's why you continue to get contracts despite not having the performances that that you would like. If you didn't have that, you probably wouldn't have those contracts. And I wonder if like those are conversations that have happened with with sponsors or not. But like that's the essential part of the athlete puzzle to me of working with a brand as a pro athlete or working with a brand as a creator. Like it's all about the story and the connections and what can you do to like talk about something that is so silly running why do we do it you ran 100 miles at 647 pace like that must be really freaking hard you did nobody was making you do that right so why did you do that talk about that kind of stuff like that's the stuff that's interesting not the fact that you did it but Mm -hmm. why you did it how you did it and then what did you do next after hitting this epic goal and those are the people that are interesting those are the people that people want to follow and those are the people that will keep getting these contracts yeah, it's really interesting stuff. I, I do want to go back to just understand a little bit more about kind of your your side of things because you mentioned it a couple times and how, how it all kind of maybe came to be. So you reach out to Puma and say, hey, I have this this situation where I can help you and your athletes. How does that actually – maybe take me back to like what was the gener- – what started that to the point where where you were able to reach out to a company like Puma and even offer something like that. Yeah, so I reached out to a friend who worked at Puma at the time um, via another friend um, who like kept suggesting it. Shout out to Sarah Pardis. Um, so I connected with my friend Hannah, who's like, oh, I'm actually leaving, but here are the people you should talk to. And so I spoke with them um, and then we're like, what are your goals? What, oh, we're really interested in, um, growing in running. We're getting back into it. Uh, where are you interested in? Oh, Boston and Boulder. Oh, I happen to like live in both places. Um, this is great. So it was like meeting them where they were literally and metaphorically in that they were looking to connect with people in the running community in two very specific places. I happen to have a house in one and an apartment in another, and I was spending a lot of time in both. Um, and then they were focused on the Boston Marathon. I love the Boston Marathon. And um, they wanted to highlight the stories of their athletes. So we were talking about electric vehicles for trail running, matching mm-hmm. the audience with the customer or the customer with the audience or the brand with the, with the customer. This was the exact same thing. I had everything that they were looking for in the ability to distribute content or speak to runners in the places that they were interested in. So if that weren't the case, it probably wouldn't have worked. And, and so then that led into a discussion around like, how do we, how do we make it clear that this brand is doing cool stuff in the sport? Well, let's talk about it on the podcast. It doesn't necessarily matter if you're attending, you just should probably know that they're doing cool stuff. And that was valuable to them. And then there was value in like I hosted a kickoff dinner with their entire company and or a, a panel with their athletes at their kickoff dinner around the Boston Marathon and then hosted two group runs and their athletes were part of it. And we videoed con- uh, we, we did interviews with them and then distributed that content over the next couple of weeks. So for them, it was like, this is what we're interested in. And we think you can help us execute on that. And then 
we did it again in July. And so I went to them and I said, hey, I've got this. Actually, the, the goal came about because we were doing a 5K series, a 5K time trial series with another partner, Boulder Boulder. And I was like, oh, could you send me a pair of fast shoes? And they were like, oh, yeah, how fast is how fast are we talking? And I was like, oh, as fast as legal, like jokingly. Yeah. They're like, oh, no, but like what distance do you mean? Because we have a, a like a really fast shoe um, for like the mile and track stuff. And I was like, well, I've never broken five in the mile. Maybe we should do that. So that led to a conversation about how do we do a fun event in Boulder centered around breaking five in the mile? And I was like, why don't we have your pro athletes pace? Um and so originally it was going to be Jenny Simpson and Sarah Vaughn pacing. Unfortunately, it didn't end up working out due to scheduling um, and fitness levels, I guess. Um, mostly, a joke, mostly a joke on that because yeah. either of those two women could, could jog a five-minute mile at any time. But um, Jenny was getting back to marathon training, so she wasn't doing like high-end work. And Sarah uh, was whisked away to Hawaii for an anniversary weekend. Uh, but she was originally planning to to pace that. So we were going to leverage Puma athletes as pacers for a bunch of amateurs trying to run sub five in the mile. Mm -hmm. And that's the race that the podcast sponsored, the pro race. Um, and then we created uh, a seven-minute video on why do we do hard things that was centered with uh, Jenny Simpson and Sarah and um, a couple of amateurs, a, a guy from Boulder who's like 40 something years old and his kids make fun of him for being over the hill. <laughs> and his agreement was, as long as I can break five annually, I'm not over the hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like we, ha and then we had a conversation with um, another runner, uh, Flannery Davis Love, who actually won that. So we had a, a breaking five heat in, in the mile high mile race. And she won the heat. She broke five, and then she ran three, two thirty six fifty two at the McCurdy Micro Marathon to qualify for the trials with eight seconds buffer. So shout out to Flannery on that. Um, but that one was all about creating content around like why do we do hard things? And Jenny really anchored that. And mm -hmm. so that aspect of it was like, hey, I want to highlight your athletes and and the wisdom that they have and the popularity that they have, Jenny in particular, and Sarah also, and particularly in Boulder, um, to really highlight and like use it as like a teachable and like motivational video. And then they shared it. And I was like, this is great. Like you're giving me access and I'm giving you exposure and, and it's being leveraged by the athletes with a lot more reach than what I have, but I'm serving it up on a platter for them to just hit accept. And I kept going back to them with this idea. We're doing something here at, um, TRE that they approached me for. Um, and so it's just like the whole part is, is delivering the whole, like the whole enchilada is like, how do you deliver value? Mm -hmm. You, you have to know what somebody's looking for. And so if you know what somebody is looking for and it matches up with skills that or, or features and benefits that or capabilities that you have, that's a one plus one equals three scenario. And I'm like constantly looking for these opportunities, um, whether professionally in what I do in my day job or through the podcast or just like life in general. To me, that's like that's the fun stuff. 
So is most of the stuff that you're like proposing to companies like Puma through the podcast episodes and then social media stuff? And, and in-person in, activations in person, so too. Is that kind of like a three-pronged Yeah, approach? so like an example, I, we were having a conversation with Hydropack today. Hydropack makes great water bo- bottles and mm-hmm. things like that. You can put your S fuel in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, they're, they're promoting cupless racing. Mm-hmm. And so I said to them, I was like, well, we haven't agreed on this yet, so they're getting <laughs> bonus here. But anyway, what I said to them, I was like, Athletic Brewing grew initially because they put a call out to their ambassadors and customers to ask your local bartender if they have Athletic. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, we have like a large sales team basically going out and, and selling for us. And so they were able to grow the purchase orders from bars nationwide by putting out a call to um, to their customers and their fans. And so I said to Hydropack, I was like, what if we did something similar about like ask your favorite race to go coupless and maybe do it with, with Hydropack. And they have this whole program where the race gets 300 free cups and this and that. Um, and so part of it is like p- pitching ideas that are non-traditional right that Mm -hmm. like nobody else is doing that um i guess besides (laughs) athletic i hate being boring and i hate just doing what everyone else is doing so that's why for the most part i like have the the thought that like oh maybe i should leave the sponsorship dollars for pro athletes or or people who do this full time and then the other half of it is like well i'm not doing it in traditional ways and it's also a business decision for the brand that like that delivers on what they're looking for and helps drive their business forward and so for me it's like i'm not just pitching oh do you want five thousand impressions per episode let's talk it's like no my thing is sustainability and motivation and mental health and these things like there are a couple of things I care a lot about, and that's where I center um, the partnerships and and discussions about promoting other brands and and things like that. And if something fits into that, I feel very strongly about doing it. Like I met this company that does um, some really cool stuff for people who like to be outdoors. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's great. That's like yeah. bullseye. And it's like helps with health and safety and, and emergency preparedness and this kind of stuff. I was like, everybody should learn about this. Um, and so for me, it's not interesting to just like support a brand because like, oh, this table, let's sell 10 of these tables. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't get me going. Yeah. And so for me, it's about like, I understand and and value the trust that the audience has and your audience has in you. Um, and trust is, what is the saying? Trust is earned in, in drops and lost in buckets. Mm. And so like, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of power in that and a lot of responsibility in that. And so I feel that responsibility to be, to, to work with brands that are interesting and do it in creative ways. So yes, it's with the podcast. Yes, it's with social. Yes, it's with some in-person stuff, but it's not just like, Oh, here's a podcast with 5,000. It's like, how do we, how do we do this differently? Mm. How do we have some conversation that's not currently happening? And, and so 
I've had a lot of conversations with pro athletes about sponsorship. And so Finn Melanson and I did a podcast like, I don't know, a year and a half ago now. And we offered in that we talked about sponsorship and the state of affairs and running and whatnot. And we both made an offer like, oh, we'll give 30 minutes of time to the first 10 people who ask. And both of us did that mm-hmm. for, for 10 athletes. And that kind of those conversations were fascinating because people have no clue what to do. <laughs> and and I was just like, I spoke with a couple of people and I saw one of them yesterday and he's like, man, my, this is a professional athlete. He's like, I'm like good for next year from the ideas you gave me. Like, I'm gonna be able to do this. And this is someone who's running professionally and that's all he's doing. Um, and And the guidance is like, look at what you're wearing, look at what you're consuming, look at what's in your bedroom, look at what's in your kitchen. Like, what are the things that you care about, that you're buying, that like are easy for you to represent? Mm-hmm. Reach out to those brands. And just like tell that story. And and it's it works. Yeah, you actually brought up something interesting at the end there that I wanted to ask you about too, because I find that if you just look at advertisement across like, the history, I guess, or even the spectrum of it, you kind of have like the more traditional radio TV advertisement where there's real no connection point between say Fox and the brand that's advertising on Fox or, you know, you name it. And signing checks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically, yeah, it's just like, Hey, here's how many eyeballs are going to see this program. That's what it costs. You pay us this and we run your 30 second ad. And in podcasting, you have some of that. I think there's like, you know, you'll get like a podcast where it's like, oh, I'm going to read some ads at the beginning. Of this. <laughs> right. But I think most of it is going towards what you were saying, where it's like, let's find something where there's an authentic usage piece there right. versus it being like, oh, you make this product, I can sell it type of a relationship. And I find that... um since I've been co- since I've been doing the podcast solo now, it's a lot easier, obviously, because now you're you're it's really just you and your interests versus, well, if the co-host has something that they right. like and they want to, we'll we'll do one for them, and then if I have one, and then we kind of like have a have a little bit of a like a two-person agreement with that. But um, yeah, so now it is like that. It's like I'd rather have a situation where it's like one, not like oh, let's just do a dozen ads. Let's just do an annual partnership, and catch this thing so it's more like so that it's more likely to tell your story right. versus just catch like like some random person who might buy your product and then who knows if they even use it right, right. versus here's your product i use your product this is how i use your product here are some resources that you can use to find out if the product would be good for you and if it is how you would use it versus how i use it so two things there one that's called value selling like communicating value about something like I'm a salesperson and there's like a, it's like a scarlet letter or scarlet word. Like people think salespeople are slimy. Some, <laughs> some, some yeah. people think that. And the way I see it is like, I'm helping you find a solution that works for you with something that is going to be ex- extremely valuable for your life. Otherwise I wouldn't be selling whatever I'm selling or promoting. And the other piece is, yeah, it's like if you have this, ethos that you hold true to first of all if you stray from that it's going to be really confusing but if you stick to it it's going to be a lot easier and and additive anytime you add something else to it because you're building trust that's why i've gone with solar with electric with coupless like 
those are the the things that I care about, right? Like if you recycle your water bottle, it's probably not going to help very much, but unless every single person on the planet does it, but most things don't get recycled appropriately. So it's like, it's like, uh, filling a, filling the ocean with a, with a, um, straw. Mm. Yeah. Whereas things like solar or removing, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of cups from races, like that seems impactful. Um, re- reducing uh, gasoline consumption and, and, you know, using components that are sourced in America versus in Europe or Asia and put on a ship and sent all the way across the, the world, like removing those components of, of the supply chain seems to me to be beneficial sort of separate from the fact that like 90 percent of carbon emissions come from like 50 companies like Mm -hmm. we should get after that too but like (laughs) i don't have any control over that i could that's like uh again filling a um the ocean with a with a straw but i feel like i can have influence over things that seem like they have a strong enough uh magnitude of of impact and so, like, Tina Mir, I mentioned her before. Like, her whole thing is sustainability. She wrote a book with Zoe Rome about becoming a sustainable runner. Like, this is a great book, both a sustainable runner related to running and being a human that lives on planet Earth. And to me, those things are important as well. And it's cool how she's built her whole persona and, and online personality, in, in real life personality, around, like, this core thing. And I think people respect the hell out of her for it or like couldn't care less but you're on one side of the other or the other mm-hmm. and if you are someone that cares about something like that you will take her word over someone else's because you're your your you align with with them as a as a person and what they're putting out into the world so that's sort of how i how i go about it like there are things i care a lot about and there are things i don't give a shit about and i'm very clear with what where I spend my time and the the products and brands and services that get promoted. And I also don't think that people have like, I don't want to say like, you just like have to care about something. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, you know what I've started doing differently when it comes to like partnership agreements is rather than going in thinking this is what I need how am I going to do, do whatever, how am I going to figure out what you want? And so that you'll give me that right to like a, cause like, you know, early on, how can we help each other? You're right. Yeah. Early on as an athlete, it was like, you know, what race should I do? What should I target? You know, how am I going to make you happy with this result? Now what I do is I go in, I'm like, this is what I'm going to be doing. Right. And where, where do you fit in here? So it's like, do you fit in in the podcast? Do you fit in on the way I'm structuring my Instagram account? Do you fit in on the races that I'm going to want to target and everything that goes into all of that? And if, if a company has a product that I would like to use, because obviously I have to be able to use it (laughs) and, and they say, well, we like that, that, and that, well, that's the whole catalog. So then we're going to work well together because you're going to fit in authentically versus like I go to another company and they say, ah, oh, you know, we really do like the podcast, but we don't really care about the running. We don't really care about your social media account. We don't really, or maybe we care, but we're not going to spend any money on it. And, and then it's like, 
well, you're less interesting to me because we don't even have, we're not even aligned. Right. And, and so there's plenty of data that suggests that a multi-channel approach is more effective. So the brand gets better value and they also have to work with less people to get a bigger impact. So a brand would rather work with one person who has a podcast, a newsletter, uh, Instagram, uh, all these things, because that's one point of contact for four or five uh, channels. Mm -hmm. And if you're seeing something in one place and another place and another place and the message is cohesive, like the principle of you need five to seven impressions. Now it's probably 10 to 15 impressions because we're bombarded with this kind of stuff. Um, if you can do that in one place, that's, that's valuable. And so then on the flip side, this idea of like collectives or like you bundling up with a couple of friends and saying, Hey, brand XYZ, like I'll be your point of contact if you want X number of, of impressions. I had a conversation with Fidelity about this and Fidelity has a $50 million marketing budget. So my 5,000 podcast impressions are like peanuts to them. Like they, they can't even have a meeting to talk about that because it's so small. But if I bring 10 podcasts together for a reach of 500,000 or something like that, then it's interesting. And then you have one point of contact that they're all aligned. Then you go broad and have that reach that's meaningful to them. They don't really care because they're looking for impressions as like a traditional brand like that. Um, that's, that's that same multi-channel approach through one point of contact. And so I think we're going to see more of that kind of stuff. In theory, agents could be doing this in sort of like bundling their athletes together and remaining the one point of contact gets kind of hard. Um, but I think we'll see kind of more of that kind of stuff as more traditional and large brands move into this space. Again, we saw a car company, a fashion company. Um, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg and that, that people are going to realize that like there's a huge opportunity here within running and we're just getting started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We are just getting started. I think when it comes to just the growth of the sport and you know, I'm doing a podcast series right now where it's just like the hybrid athlete or yeah. you talk to Eric Hinman. Not yet. No. He's oh yeah. I know who that is. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. He's big into that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't spoken to him. Have you had him on on your podcast? Or? Uh, I haven't had him on the podcast. I spent forty five minutes in his sauna yesterday. Oh, really? <laughs> getting to know him. Yeah, um, his sauna cranks and gets really hot. And <laughs> was like, okay, like this is a great conversation, but I need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people like that, and he would have a really interesting perspective on mm -hmm. on all these questions as well. Yeah, I mean, you, what what made me interested in it actually was the coaching arm of what I do was I started getting a lot more requests from people who historically would have never decided to do an ultra marathon. I had a division, former division one offense alignment reach out to me because <laughs> wow. he wanted to run an ultra marathon. Wow. And I was the person that he decided was going to help him get there. <laughs> there were so, a couple of those guys that uh, Broncos players that ran Leadville this past yeah, year. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Like I have, uh, I would say, probably half of my coaching clients right now are non-traditional runners. Huh. Like they came from a downer sport and I'm super interested in that. Like what is it that's bringing all these people into running? And then even more specifically to some degree, ultra marathon running. 
And from what I can gather, a lot of it is sort of similar to what we've been talking about. We've had these big brands, which I would consider like the Joe Rogan experience, Cam Haynes and everything yeah. he does. Those are brands. They're big. And you take someone like Cam Haynes, who has got, he's, he, I mean, if you're a hunter, you know who Cam Haynes is. So Cam Haynes says, if you really want to be a hunter, get out you of the deer stand dirt, yeah. and do an ultra marathon yeah. so you can hike into the backwoods. So now there's hunters that want to become ultra marathon <laughs> runners because of Cam Haynes. Yeah. And then you get and David Goggins is probably even better. Yeah. Example. And you going on Rogan or, right. or Courtney mm-hmm. going on Rogan. Yeah. It's like the meeting of the worlds. Essentially. It's like, here's the more traditional runner, the more like the person who's kind of been in it, like Courtney and done quite well, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah. To, as a connection point of like a representative of the sport that gives these people another point of contact other than the person like Goggins or Cam Haynes who first put it on the radar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting to me because like you have the sport growing cause we have, I mean, I'm sure you were following all the UTMB stuff where, I mean, it's been a story for a while now where that's a big organization. I mean, it's not UTMB, it's Ironman essentially just basically take, not taking over the sport, but creating a much larger footprint on the sport than, than what would have otherwise been done by one organization. Right. And with that comes, you know, problems. I think before like the whole UTMB Gary Robbins situation, my thought would have been more along the lines of, okay, UTMB's big. They're here. They're not going anywhere. They're going to create a ton of buzz around the sport to people who would have otherwise never heard about it. UTMB's not cheap. That race isn't cheap. It's not cheap to get into UTMB. It's not cheap to get the do the races you need to even enter the process of doing UTMB. There's going to be a ton of people who are interested in doing ultra marathons who just are not going to be in the budget of the UTMB experience. So where do they go? They still want to do an ultra marathon. Well, local mom and pop ultra marathons will stand to grow by catching that right. portion of the sport too. So I thought this could work out. Um, obviously, there has to be, I think, at least some sort of uh authenticity maybe you could say in terms of like let's be mindful of how we do a business between the big and the small which right. kind yes. of in my opinion got encroached on a little bit with gary robin's situation but um it, you take that part away you know you, if you fix that piece the like the kind of like shady backdoor dealing type stuff i think it can work and you know i think just like yeah the growth i can't remember what we were talking about when i got on this tangent but uh Oh, I was talking about the, the hybrid athlete. Yeah. So like, yeah, I'm interested in just like kind of talking to people who kind of are coming to the sport from that. And that brings in a whole bunch of different like listeners and different brands that would be maybe more interested in like, say someone who's a multi-purpose athlete versus someone who just runs. Yeah. And then there's the aspect of that type of person being like more functionally healthy. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean that metaphorically and literally right like yeah <laughs> i in my 20s it was all about speed mm-hmm. and now i'm like i want to do this for a long time and at the same time like i put in a wood stove last week and so we got a bunch of wood and i bought an axe and i was out there splitting wood and sawing wood and this kind of stuff and i'm like i'm a human who also runs but like i do these other things too that i need fitness for and like i was so sore from that so the hybrid athlete aspect like to me that's going to grow as well as we have the the sinclairs and the hubermans preaching health span Mm -hmm. and healthier longer as we talk about it like and and so like to be functionally fit so that i can go out and and chop wood for two hours Mm -hmm. and not and, and be able to use my thumbs the next day 
<laughs> and and not have my forearms feel like they're all jacked up and yeah exactly and and there's like a like a primal feeling to something like that like i'm out there chopping wood with my own two hands and i'm putting it in this little vestibule that's going to heat heat my home and keep me warm and it came from a tree in my yard <laughs> and mm-hmm. like that that seems fun and cool and at the same time like that's functionally useful training and so the, these hybrid athletes i also think are going to continue to grow the interest in this is going to continue to grow as people realize that like hey i want to be able to like pick up my kids when i'm older i want to be able to 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 walk upstairs when i'm 80 or wipe my own butt or yeah. like have <laughs> sex and like these things that like people care about now that you take for granted just running is not going to enable you to do that it's going to give you a great vo2 max and it's going to enable you to like potentially stave off some of the cardiovascular challenges but there are other components to to health that i think are becoming more clear and more visible um as people are getting sicker and sicker and so like some of it to me is like we have we have a microphone and a responsibility to talk about those things too and like influence people in non-buying related ways to say like think about yourself in 50 years like you are the healthiest you will ever be right now potentially might not be the case but like extenuating circumstances removed that's probably true and you have to work really hard to to maintain that for a long time and so through the work you're doing with coaching or through like any of that stuff like that that is critical to the health and wellness of society so i don't know where i was going with this but i really like chopping wood and yeah and carrying water i guess well and it's <laughs> almost the the reverse or not the reverse it's just from another angle where you're more traditionally a runner and you're starting to recognize hey right. there's some value here in the strength world right. and that sort of thing whereas you know the, yeah like so maybe you decide to enter some sort of like competition where you're chopping wood and running and <laughs> <laughs> the Ryan Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Go yeah. to the Grand Canyon and carry jugs of water out of there. Um, do you have time for one more topic? Yeah. Awesome. So I want to, to, to kind of get your perspective too, because we've talked about kind of the different kind of components here with like there's, 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 I guess, corporations or companies, there's athletes, there's influencers, creators and all that stuff. You are involved with Inside Tracker. So you, I don't know, I don't know how much of that you, maybe do or don't deal with, but, um, do you have, like, let's say, put your inside tracker hat on. Is there a process? Yeah. <laughs> Did you bring it on? <laughs> is there like, uh, what is, what do you guys do to look at the sphere? Like I'm imagining you say at like most companies at the beginning of the year or the quarter, we have this much money that we're going to spend on advertising. Do you go with athletes? Do you go with podcast hosts? Do you go with influencers? How do you actually, uh, splice up that pie if you can talk about yeah that. so it's evolved to understand who is our best customer who are the people that have the best experience with us and how how who are the people who who are probably interested in in using inside tracker so it's all about healthier longer we use a blood test to understand the your 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 biometrics and connect a wearable and uh, potentially dna information to make recommendations and so those people are often runners and they're often executives. They're often like people who either have seen a family member decline and, and get less healthy or, or something. And so these people 
fit a certain persona. And so our average customer is in their 40s. They're not a professional athlete, um, but they're doing endurance sports or they're doing something. And so we look to see where can we find people like that or people who have an audience like that and work with those people. So like I mentioned uh, Ken Rideout. Like mm-hmm. we just started working with him and um, not because he's a 228 marathoner, but because he's a 52 year old guy who has other people who are similar and interested in getting better. And if he didn't have the people who are interested in getting better, it wouldn't make sense to work with him because if you're not interested in getting better, why yeah. would you pay money for service that's going to help you get better? So our, our process has evolved over time. Initially it was like runners and then it got slimmed down into like more of a specific focus around people who are most likely to be interested and, and sort of growing that pie. And, and then lately it's been a lot of like science communicators mm. and people who are interested in distributing science related information who happen to have a large platform. The challenge is that people who are very good at distributing science information generally don't have a large platform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that Venn diagram is generally two separate circles, not concentric circles. But then you have people like Andrew Huberman, mm-hmm. who is incredibly Scratches or good at, checks that box, exactly, yeah. at disseminating information and making it approachable. I mean, granted, his podcasts are three hours long, so mm-hmm. I don't know how approachable that is for all, but um, the information contained in that is is wonderful and so that's been sort of the approach like where similar to what we're talking about with volkswagen how do we find the people who are most likely to have this resonate with them and then speak directly to them through the mouthpiece of someone who likes the product and wants to educate their audience on it mm-hmm. uh, that's interesting i, I think the the funny thing is i just thought is because you were talking about andrew huberman in his three hour podcast, the funny thing about that is he's gotten so big and recognizable. Now there's like an ecosystem around him where like the three hour podcast gets distilled into by people other than himself, right? Get distilled into the, the, these, these topics that get bannered around social media. So right. like without him even trying, it becomes like sort of bite size, right. smaller pieces of it too. And so. people have trained AI models on his content. So you can ask like a chat GPT, like what does Andrew Huberman think about fasted training or, yeah. or sunlight or, you know, anything like that. It's yeah. crazy. And you can get a good response. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So, um, uh, inside tracker, they are, are, tell me a little more about the services that they just offer in general. Yeah. So, it's all about healthier, longer, as I said. Um, what, the way that we do that is facilitate a, a blood test through either Quest Diagnostics or a mobile draw where somebody comes to you, or you can upload data from, let's say you have a physical done with your physician. Um, that's a, a more cost-effective way to do it if you already have that data. And so then we take that, match it with your demographics, your goals, your lifestyle, your nutrition preferences, and basically say, here's your action plan for XYZ goal. If you want to boost... Uh, energy, if you want to improve cognition, if you want to improve heart health, here are the three to five things to do in order to facilitate exactly that in the most efficient way to do it, given all these variables, right? So when you create an account, you fill out a profile, 
catches like a couple of dozen questions. Every single question is used to personalize that experience. So the reason that we got started and running is because we were like, okay, who cares most about performance? Well, people who need to improve their performance and have like an acute need to avoid bonking and explain low energy and things like that. And as time has gone on, we've realized that it's valuable for running and also performance at work and with family and, and like what it real, what I realized very quickly is like, there are simple things I can do to improve my sleep that don't involve sleeping more. And so looking at some of the micronutrient levels that contribute to better sleep quality, like it was like that Mm. I, my sleep improved within like two weeks and I was waking up feeling refreshed. Um, and so many people go through life like, oh, yeah, I just am busy, so I should be tired all the time. Yeah. And they, they just like it. submit to getting worse over time. And so we're here to say like you can fight stasis and you can fight the inertia of not doing something and, and regression. Like you shouldn't re- like say, oh, yeah, I'm just getting older, right? That's lame. Um, <laughs> you should be able to fight that. And so our hypothesis is that if you give your body what it needs – you'll be able to feel healthier longer, right? So Peter Atia, Andrew Huberman, all these guys are, are talking about health span versus lifespan. The average lifespan is 79-ish years. The average health span is 61 years. Lifespan is your birthday, death day, the difference in between. Health span is how, what, at what point you stop living a high-quality life. Why is there an 18-year difference in that? Yeah, that sucks. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. Um, my grandfather died like three weeks ago, and he had Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers had Parkinson's. So I watched this horrible disease consume a man who was this hotshot lawyer uh, with the Supreme Court, worked with a bunch of presidents, represented countries um, uh, globally at the highest level. He used his brain and his mouth for his job forever. And he also used it <laughs> like with families. <laughs> He's a very loud person. And his, 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 his thought, you never wondered what he was thinking. <laughs> and he couldn't speak and he couldn't eat for like a few months. Oh. And, and that was the worst of it, but it was, it was getting worse for like five years. And, so that's the that's the decline of health span. I watched my other grandfather do the same thing, right? Like your brain is there when you have Parkinson's, but your body is not responding to what your brain is telling it to do. You, the, the speech is in, uh, is is declining and your co- your your motor functions go away basically. And so I'm like that sucks. I I want to avoid that for as long as possible and this this gap reduction of of the health span to lifespan component is like you, instead of, I don't know how many people are watching this versus listening to it. Instead of going like a long, slow linear decline, which seems brutal and awful. Mm. You, you don't really decline all that much. You don't really decline all that much. And then you just fall off a cliff and die. You just don't wake up one day. (laughs) And to me, that's like, that's, that's aspirational, right? You can push off that decline as long as possible, and then it's a steep cliff and you're, you're dead. Some people might say, I want to live as long as possible. Like, I, I want to live in good health as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is an effort to support that and um, 
just understanding your numbers so that when you have health, you know what you look like physiologically and you can strive for being optimal versus your physician saying, oh, you're normal, come back next year. So many runners are like, oh, I'm tired. And they go to their doctor, they get an iron test and their ferritin is 12. <laughs> and, and their doctor says, oh, you're, it's a little low, but yeah. you know, maybe run a little bit less. Yeah. We'd say that's super, super low and, and you should, yeah. And you should like do something about fixing that. Um, and so it's like, it's all about the empowerment of people. And so whether you do inside tracker or you just like read Peter Atiyah's outlive or start listening to Andrew Huberman's podcast or like any of these little bite sized things you can do to improve your health and health span. Like that's where the, the conversation is going and it's become like mainstream to think this way. So I've moved to the enterprise sales side of things. I'm working with teams and fire departments and police departments oh, and military and corporate wellness. And so <clears throat> I'm talking to these professional athletes and they're all <laughs> listening to Huberman. Mm -hmm. They're like health span. <laughs> and, and I've been having these conversations for 10 years and the, the tone has changed even with these like 30 year old professional athletes who 10 years ago thought they were invincible. And it's just so fascinating that it's like this complete paradigm shift in perception of health and that it's not what you look like on the outside that matters. You could have a six pack and be metabolically unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And this phenomenon of skinny fat that has been discussed that like you are, you are uh, skinny or, or normal um, uh, body weight um, but you're, you're metabolically destroyed. There's data that's presented in Peter Tia's book that suggests that those people are often less healthy than people who are obese yet have, have uh, totally normal metabolic markers. Mm -hmm. And that the people who are, who are overweight um, but, but have normal lipids and ApoB and these things can live longer and healthier lives than people who are underweight or normal weight and are metabolically uh, a wreck yeah. a wreck <laughs> and it's fascinating yeah it is 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 there anything like because i mean I, I would be interested because you must have like a huge data pool of just like on average people are not doing so great yeah. here versus oh this probably isn't something we should be too concerned with is there anything that kind of stands out with that where it's like oh everyone probably should be getting more magnesium in their diet or you mentioned iron ferritin is there anything that really kind of stands out so what's wild is that like for the most part it's pretty predictable mm -hmm. so it's magnesium it's vitamin d and like 50 percent of premenopausal women are iron deficient hmm. in our population we have 100,000 customers and we've seen some trends that are abnormal or, or like what you would not expect and then we've seen what you would definitely expect so magnesium is one of the most common mineral deficiencies I think 35% of our customers are, are um, clinically low in vitamin D with their first test. Um, and that hormone uh, is related to every single function in the body, hmm. right? So like 35% of people are screwed yeah. if they didn't know about this. And 50% of women are potentially um, tired all the time and not, and they don't know why <laughs> it's like a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so let's say we have 50,000 women, 25,000 women are out there just tired, right? That's a lot of people with room to improve. And 
the cool thing is we've published one paper and we're publishing a second paper on the validity of this approach and the, the ability to use algorithm-derived guidance to improve. Basically, does it work? The answer is yes. Statistically, significantly across the board, that is the case. And so now what we're doing is we're going to police and fire departments to say, oh, we looked at our database of, of first responders and this is their health profile mm. baseline. They are, they are experiencing increased levels of stress, increased levels of inflammation, increased uh, cardiovascular risk through ApoB, which is the best indicator of heart health, and their lipids are out of whack. Oh, by the way, they also improve faster than the general population. Hmm. So we're having the conversation with the fire departments who are experiencing cardiovascular events that can cost the department $750,000 per person who gets a heart attack to say, okay, well, 47% of our population who tests with high ApoB initially, it improves. So half of the people with high ApoB, which again is the best indicator of heart health, improve. Do you think it would be valuable for your department to think about yeah. <laughs> to think about this? And yeah. the answer is always yes. Yeah. And the answer is either yes and we're doing something about it or yes and we should probably have a conversation about this. And so that's a, that's a cohort where they, the average lifespan, lifespan after retirement is five years. That's yeah. why their pensions can be so high because they just die. Mm -hmm. It's awful. Um, and there's no conversation about health and that's starting. And so... So what's cool is that the data shows that the people who are using the program improve faster than the general population. So they, these are firefighters or police officers who use Inside Tracker. They're improving faster because they have more, more to improve than the general population. And so we have so much data that can be used in such powerful ways to drive better outcomes that like we need like 50 data scientists to just be telling us what to do and who to talk to and how to market it and that kind of stuff. We have a couple and they're very great, mm -hmm. <laughs> but like the opportunity is there to learn a lot about society. And so you have all these other companies that are popping up that don't have 10 plus years of, of history and can't make these conclusions and can't talk about data through having 10 million um, blood data points and almost 10, uh, I think it's 2 billion uh, DNA data points to reference. And so it's fascinating how you can steer a conversation with these people who are like we're talking with entire states about, oh, your, your state is spending a billion dollars on diabetes and it's increasing by $50 million a year. Wouldn't you like that to go away? Well, let's see if we can figure out a way to help increase education or help people think about here's, here's a free takeaway. If you, if you walk for two minutes after eating, it's really good for you. So if you, are, if, if you have diabetes or, or are pre-diabetic, that's like the best possible thing mm -hmm. to do besides all these drugs that, that can basically be a hammer versus a feather on the, yeah. on the outcomes. Um, but just like two minutes of walking. So how do you influence and how do you motivate someone who is not motivated or doesn't have role models that go out and run hundred miles in yeah. 647 pace. Like it's very hard. Yeah. And so, so the conversation has to be around like not just the tip of the spear, um, elite athletes who are 
using their body as their machine, but like the 47 year old from Iowa who has a, an A1C of 9.8, like how do we help that person? Mm -hmm. That's a totally different conversation than how do we help you run faster, longer, healthier? Yeah. That's all super interesting. I mean, I think just, just being able to say like, Hey, we have this data on your specific population. This is what you can expect to see when we run these tests. So they know ahead of time, really what they're probably looking at and how, how much of an alarm it is. And then they can start individualizing with each person based on their actual results. Uh, what, what you said reminded me, I've I got a friend, Mark Bell, you probably heard of him, uh, former world record uh, bench press, just, you, you know, bodybuilder, strength athlete. He got interested in running. And uh, I always, I've said this, I think before, but like there's year, this is probably a couple decades ago at this point, they had a Super Bowl commercial where it was like New York, and they just had like 50 bodybuilders running. It was just the weirdest looking thing you'd ever see. And then here's this, this is like, it actually is happening. Like, so he's getting into running. But the thing I thought was interesting about it, about what you said was, uh, here you have a guy who is almost unlike, like, like if, I, if I decide I wanted to start to get strong, I might look to Mark as like, wow, he's like the holy grail of strength and power, but that's a long goal away. Maybe, well, in most cases, an unachievable goal, yeah. right? I can do my best, but I'll never get to Mark. So here he comes down and picks a sport he's probably the worst at. Decides he's going to try to get better at it. And along the way, he's like, hey, let's start this like evening walk group where he's like, I don't care if you're 300 pounds and have never exercised in the last two decades or if you're super fit and you just want to engage with like a fun community activity. And he had these like evening walks where he got like a whole bunch of people that were kind of following cool. him to do these, like, just like, let's put that into the routine. So like yeah. when you said like the two minute walk, it's like, sometimes it's just getting something that a person can wrap their head around and seeing it from a person who, you know, is willing to kind of humble themselves to the degree like, Hey, let's find what I'm bad at yeah. since you've all seen what I'm good at yeah. and, and really uh, kind of make it approachable like that. Absolutely. Jonathan, where can people find you? Um, today, Austin, Texas, Austin, Texas. <laughs> it, uh, at your my house, house. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the internet at JW Levitt, um, the podcast for the long run, uh, when you come to Boulder, there'll be an episode, uh, coming from that yeah. uh, with you and Nicole. Um, looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for these questions. It's been, it's been, uh, it's been a blast. And I'm glad these cameras didn't die again. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we were working through the studios. <laughs> the, the studio, everything is still new to me. But Zach's got a sweet setup here, super professional, and uh, all the all the cool gear and and lights, camera, and and action. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's been great chatting. I was excited about this episode and the topics, and I didn't expect to have it be as good as I think it was. So I'm hoping the listeners are gonna. Love it as much as I did. Cool. Well, if they've made it this far, I assume, yeah, yeah. I assume they've liked it. Or I'm putting this in the beginning now. listening. <laughs> and put this as the promo clip. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Jonathan. Well, thanks a bunch for taking some time. Cool. Likewise. Hey, everyone. If you are here, you have stuck around to hear more about how I use the products that sponsor the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I have taken a lot of time identifying these products and brands and I'm incredibly grateful that they are both products that I'm able to use sometimes on a daily basis, and they also are interested in supporting what I'm doing here at the Human Performance Outliers podcast and want to work with me. So here's how I use them. 
One of the reasons I came across S-Fuels originally is it maps my protocol perfectly. So at S-Fuels, they follow a principle of right fuel at right time. This means that they don't demonize carbohydrate, but they understand the power of a low carbohydrate diet. So throughout my year, I have ranging inputs between fats and carbohydrates, but they're always based in a foundation of fats. S-Fuels approach matches that just right. It allows you to build a foundation in your nutrition with fats, but also gives you options to pull that powerful level that is carbohydrate when you need it. So in their product line, this is how I use it. Race Plus, that's their carbohydrate source. I'll use this for faster workouts or for races when I'm trying to defend muscle and liver glycogen. Train is their fat-based powder, which is basically a sports drink powder, but with fat instead of carbohydrate. Helps improve fat oxidation rates. I love it for workouts where I need some calories. I don't want to run a huge deficit, but I don't want to introduce carbohydrates. Side note, this actually makes a great high fat smoothie as well. So if you're interested in that, check out my Instagram reels. I've got some smoothies on there that I've used this for. Revival is a protein powder that I will use post-workout and post-race a lot of times. This is something I can easily mix into something like full-fat yogurt or in that high-fat smoothie that I mentioned. Using this just makes sure I'm getting off on the right foot with the recovery process and maximizing my protein muscle synthesis. Next is Primed. Primed is my go-to caffeine source when working out. It gives you 80 milligrams of caffeine, but they make it in a way where it will help with focus, won't have jitters, and can help you with the fat oxidation benefits of caffeine consumption as well as the reduction in perceived effort. Life bars are my go-to snack. If I'm doing a pretty big training block and I need something between meals, life bars give me some healthy fats and protein that'll fit right into that. Finally, Keto 3. Keto 3 is a product that I'll use basically to replace anything I would have used granola for in the past. So I keep a bag of this around and I can sprinkle that on top of things that I would have previously put granola on when I want to keep the fats and the proteins high and the carbohydrates low. If you want to learn more about these products or check them out, head over to sfuelsgolonger.com where you can get 15% off your order. And this year, Stay tuned because I'm going to be doing a series of free sample pack offers from those products that I just talked about. Last year, some of my trail running friends told me I needed to check out this brand named Janji. And when it came time to update my running apparel, I thought, okay, I'm going to check these guys out. I'm stoked that they want to work with me because I've ended up using this stuff for way more things than I actually thought I would. My main focus when I'm picking out workout gear and specifically running gear is how does it actually like sit on my body while I'm going through the different mechanics that are important to running or strength work and things like that. So the more a product can function the way it's supposed to, but stay out of the way, the better as far as I'm concerned. So they're kind of lightweight, breathable, moisture wicking type of setup works really well for me. Uh, they're shorts. They're AFO middle short. I actually got two pairs of these, and I find myself using this for everything, basically. Like, I've used them for short intervals. I've used them for long intervals, taking them off for long runs, easy runs. I even go to the gym with them. So I need both those pairs. I've been going through them. They have an odor-resistant uh, tack to it, too, so I can usually get a few workouts out of them before I need to wash them. And I just find, like, my range of motion is great in it, regardless of whether I'm doing those short intervals, long run in the gym, doing 
uh, mobility routine type stuff or like muscular endurance strength stuff and all sorts of different activities. So that short is going to be in my rotation even when the, the temperature picks up. I got a couple long sleeve options too from them. There's the Repeat Merino long sleeve and the Rover Merino hoodie. So the Repeat Merino I've been using as kind of like a either a base layer if it's really cold out that I'll put on first and then something else over it. Or if it's just kind of chilly where like a t-shirt or a singlet isn't quite enough and I may want it for part of the run but not all the run or maybe I want it for the whole run but I don't want too much so I feel like I'm sweating profusely underneath that. This is perfect for that. So I'll use it over the singlet or just straight up first layer on and then something over top of it. The Rover Merino hoodie is one of the things that I'll use as kind of an outer layer. I'll put this over that Merino long sleeve. And this one has a few extra features to it. It's a little thicker, so I can get away with it in a little cooler, cooler weather. But it also has like a hood that you can put up and then a face mask that covers part of your face that you can use too if it gets especially chilly out there. Um, I've been using this both for the running workouts as well as taking it to the gym from a transportation standpoint as I'm getting there and then during my warmups and things like that as something I can kind of count on. Both these items are super light and packable too. So if I, if I do have a scenario where I think I might need it for part of the workout but not all of it, I don't hesitate to bring it because I know I can take it off and store it pretty easily if I need to without having to worry about feeling like I've got this like extra thing coming with me that is getting annoying. The next item I got from there was the tights. Now tights are products that I am very skeptical about usually because I always end up having this situation occur where they either feel like too tight and restrictive or they feel like they're sagging on me. So I'm either feeling restricted by them or if I don't feel restricted, I feel like I'm constantly trying to pull them back up or find a way to like fit them on me so they don't sag down. And it's just this constant battle where I just usually avoid wearing tights if I have to. These ones are much different than that. I'm loving these. I'm wearing these on all the cold weather days where I want that full protection layer. And they sit on me so perfectly I can even stuff stuff in the side pockets. They've got these side pockets on either side. I put my phone in there. I've even taken my outer layer off and rolled it up and stuffed it in that side pocket. I don't feel like it's creating a situation where it's getting in the way or causing it to sag. Also, full range of motion. I've used this for faster runs and slower runs, and that's usually my test. If I can do a speed workout in the short in the in the tights, then uh, that's great because that means I'm I'm moving through my gait cycle smoothly. And if they're not sagging on top of it, that's a bonus. I also picked up their Atlas multi-pant, which is a little bit more robust than the tights. So if you're looking for something for more of an outer layer, a little warmer, this would maybe be a little bit of an option. I've been using it on colder days uh, for for running and just as a way to wear something warm to get to the gym or during my warm-up during that. I love these because they taper down really nicely so I'm not catching it on the side of my shoe as I'm going through my gait cycle or a movement in the gym, but they also have these really long zippers on the side. So if I do want to peel them off or put them on, I don't have to take my shoes off or feel like I'm fumbling around with it a lot. They also pack. They pack up real nicely too. So you can roll them up into the back pocket and then if I do find that I'm taking them off partway through a workout, I don't feel like I have this like extra piece of gear that's like bogging me down much. If you're interested in checking out Janji's stuff and letting them know that you heard about them on the Human Forest Outliers podcast, you can get a 10% discount. Use promo code BITTER10, that's BITTER10, and go to janji.com, that's J-A-N-J-I.com. And if you do like to shop at REI, they are also available there.
Element Electrolytes has been my electrolyte of choice for quite some time now. They're actually back sponsoring the podcast for the third year. It's how long I've been using them. I actually got my sweat test done last summer where I found out that I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes for every liter of fluid that I lose. And it's not uncommon that I'll lose a liter plus of fluid per hour, especially when it gets a little bit warmer. So I'm usually using electrolytes in my workouts, especially as they go beyond an hour or if the temperatures are a little bit warmer or if I'm just going through a lot of fluids for one reason or the other. My protocol right now is I'll do a half a pack of one of their chocolate flavors in my coffee in the morning before my morning training session. And then I'll do another half a pack to a full pack of usually watermelon in my fluids that I'm taking on during and after that workout. Their product specifically has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. So you can go a long way with one packet. Some of the other flavors they have available are citrus, watermelon, orange, grapefruit, raspberry, chocolate, mango chili, chocolate caramel. They actually right now just rolled out their seasonal options. One reason to keep an eye on Element is they will do seasonal releases where they have limited offering, limited time offers. And right now their, their seasonal option is chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. If you check them out and you like that sort of idea of mixing something with your tea or coffee or your hot chocolate, if you want to make yourself some hot chocolate with this, you can do that. Definitely check out the mint and the chocolate raspberry. I love both of those. If you do want to try them out, you can actually get a free sample pack right now with your first purchase. You just have to go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. Put in that forward slash HPO and that will offer up that free sample pack, as well as let them know that you're a supporter of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Delta G Ketones is a product I've been using for just over a year now. I started using them early last year as a a, a test to see if it was something I was going to want to use in my training and racing. I wanted to stress test them in something longer, so I actually used them at the Rocky Raccoon 100 as my first kind of test of will these handle for the duration of a hundred miler versus just what I would notice in kind of day-to-day workouts and things like that. And they are something that I'm going to keep in my routine. So my basic go-to is the Delta G performance. The reason I chose Delta G over all the other exogenous ketone supplements out there is they have a formula and a dosage that is supported by the research that we have to date. So they are the company that got the DARPA funding to design for special forces. They've been 50 plus published studies, 20 plus ongoing studies. My protocol with them is just to take a single bottle of that Delta G performance before a key workout or before a race. And if I'm going to be doing a race that spans longer than three hours, I will take another bottle every three hours while I'm out there. So if you're interested in more details about exogenous ketones and Delta G specifically, I would encourage you to check out episode 351, Exogenous Ketones and Performance with Brian McMahon. You can also right now on their website, 
they understand that this is something that is new for people and they want to make sure that you are using it right and that you know what you're doing. So you can do a free consultation with them if you go to their website at deltagketones.com. If you do decide, hey, I want to check this stuff out and see what my experience is like, you can get 20% off and let them know you support HPO by using promo code BITTER20. That's BITTER20 for 20% off at deltagketones.com. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. 